Welcome to our time together in God's Word. And my hope and prayer is that we can connect with each other and connect with God. It's not just a social gathering. And there is benefit to that where we encourage each other. We support each other. But ultimately, our goal is to connect with God. God is the only one that can give us the strength that we require. God is the only one that can provide the peace below the surface in our life. And so regardless of the kind of day you've had or the kind of week you've had or the kind of month you've had or the kind of year all of us have had or even the kind of life you've had, I want us in these next few moments to step out of the whirlwind and to find the presence of God as we open his word. And what we've been doing on Wednesday nights is a series that I've called Faith in the Dark. And it's been highlighting the seasons of significant struggle in the lives of Bible characters. And what we often do is we, we create a highlight reel of the lives of these Bible characters, and we, we pick out the, the mountaintop moments and create this highlight reel. And when we don't study the seasons of struggle, right, it creates an unrealistic theology. Well, it creates an incomplete theology, right? This theology of suffering, this theology of waiting, as God moves in his own time, according to his own purposes. And hopefully we can find some measure of comfort in seeing that when we struggle, we are in good company because every person struggles, including the characters in the Bible, including the biblical heroes, the people that God used mightily. They struggled greatly. And so we've, I started in Genesis and kind of have prayerfully been walking through the scriptures chronologically. And tonight we come to the life of Solomon. And Solomon is this legendary figure in scripture. You have David, and we spent the last two weeks talking about these multiple seasons of struggle in the life of King David. And now we have uh, his son, Solomon, who becomes king after David. And he's the last king before the divided kingdom. So Solomon is the last king before the civil war, before the north and the south not in 19th century America, but this is in Old Testament where God's people fractured after Solomon and actually because of Solomon. And this is just a, a lesson as far as how we impact those that come after us. Our decisions today, the ripple effect of our decisions will go forth well beyond our lifetime. And so Solomon made decisions uh, that led to a fractured kingdom. His, his faithlessness, his disobedience, his compromise was felt by generations of people after the decision he, he made after his death. So turn with me tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and we're going to read the, the first chapter together. 
And I want us to see something here that King Solomon had everything. King Solomon had it made. King Solomon, there used to be a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? And this guy with this incredible accent would narrate the show. And each episode, they would, they, they would highlight uh, the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Solomon it was the, <laughs> Solomon would have been on that show. He was rich. He was famous. He was successful. He had it all. Everything that many of us think we need in order to be happy, Solomon had it and it did not result in happiness. It did not result in contentment. It never does, <laughs> as we'll see. But I want us to see this inner struggle of the life of King Solomon. And it's significant. I mean, this is a this is a crisis of faith that Solomon has. And he's it's a public crisis of faith, though, because uh, as the book starts, it's called Ecclesiastes because that word means assembly. And it's, it's where we get our English word ecclesiastical or church. It's a gathering of people who want to listen to the wisdom of the teacher. But as we prepare to read this first chapter and then go back and unpack it together, I want to prepare you that this is not a pep rally. <laughs> so as I read through the book of Ecclesiastes today, it is, it is a dark book, right? It has this underlying cynicism. It has this prevailing pessimism and it's raw, it's real, and it's in the Bible. <laughs> so I want us to read this together and try to calm our hearts and quiet our minds and hear God speak through his word. Ecclesiastes chapter one, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the, to the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was already... It, it, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. 
Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That's chapter one. And he goes on here. Chapter two is the heading is pleasures are meaningless. The second part of chapter two, wisdom and folly are meaningless. And then the last part of chapter two, toil is me or work, labor is meaningless. And then chapter three is maybe the, the most well-known part of this book because of a song uh, in the 60s by a group called The Birds, A Time for Everything. The song is titled Turn, Turn, Turn. Um, and then he goes on in chapter four, oppression, toil, friendlessness. The theme continues. Advancement is meaningless. Riches are meaningless. And he goes on in chapter 6 and talks of, of wisdom and obedience and a common destiny for all in chapter 9, that death is no respecter of persons, that the same fate awaits us all. Uh, the rich and the poor are both devoured by death. He goes on and concludes the book in chapter 12, and I want to read the last part as well, these bookends to this book, because the book of Ecclesiastes is intentionally repetitive. Solomon says the same things in different ways multiple times, and he does this for emphasis. And in the last part here, the conclusion of the matter in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many Proverbs, which, by the way, um, a large portion of the book of Proverbs uh, come from Solomon. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Uh, can I get an amen from my students, those in middle school, those in, in high school that just finished the year out, those in university? This should be uh, highlighted in the Bible of every student. Much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. I would encourage you to read the whole book yourself. It's 12 chapters and it doesn't take long, but I would encourage you to be in the right emotional posture when you consume the book of Ecclesiastes. Because there is this blatant pessimism. There is, it's, it's raw, right? Things that most of us think, Solomon says. And the theme of the book is clear and it can be summarized. It can be encapsulated in one word, meaningless. And the Hebrew word is hevel. Hevel is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's usually translated into English as meaningless. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it multiple times. And in the 
in the language of the Bible, that communicates emphasis, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So he doubles down, he triples down, he quadruples down, right out of the gate in the very first verses of the book, Hevel. It, it, it's a Hebrew picture of a vapor, a, of smoke, and it communicates the temporal nature of our lives, of everyone's life. Regardless of when you're born, uh, we're all faced with our mortality. And so Solomon goes on to articulate what many of us think below the surface. Life is unstable and unpredictable, unreliable, frail, and because of this, futile. Life is transient, is temporary. We are all temporary. And so Solomon is probably in this season of, of depression. And I want you to get this here because the series is called Faith in the Dark. And we have Solomon, who is the wisest person that has ever lived. This is the wisest person in human history. He was especially gifted by God with supernatural wisdom. And I want you to see this correlation here between the level of revelation that he received, the level of understanding that he received, the level of wisdom that he received, but also it came with it that, that there's, this, there's this agitation that came with the revelation. Right? There's this weariness that accompanied the wisdom. And Solomon is honest about this. He says in the book that we humans invest our energy and our emotions into things that ultimately have no meaning, that are ultimately unfulfilling. And so he diagnoses the human condition that we as humans are frail creatures. We are insecure. We are often frustrated. We are perpetually exhausted and we are constantly afraid. So Solomon hits the bullseye because he diagnoses the human condition. And Solomon speaks from experience far greater than any of us could ever imagine, where Solomon had the resources to fully explore these potential avenues of fulfillment. Solomon built the temple. Solomon built this magnificent temple where the symbolic presence of God dwelled. Solomon built a palace. Solomon built cities. Solomon had kings and queens travel great distances. They went on these, people went on pilgrimages. Royalty went on pilgrimages to see Solomon and to hear his wisdom and to learn from him. Solomon had was it 700 wives and 300 concubines? A thousand women, right? And these were like, so they basically had a beauty talent, a be like a, a beauty pageant in all of these countries, including Israel, but all of these surrounding countries. And the winners of these pageants uh, was sent to Solomon to be his wife, one of his wives. So if you do the math there, right? So a thousand women between his wives and concubines that each woman would get to spend 
what, one day every two years with her husband, with the king? Um, and there's a whole nother message behind uh, the, the wisdom of choosing our most, our, our most intimate relationships wisely. The wisdom. We must choose our intimate relationships wisely. Right? We, must, we must not have an open door policy to our inner circle because that's, that's where the influence goes both ways. And we see that Solomon, who was the wisest person on the planet, ultimately became a fool because he let these foreign women with their foreign gods, he broke the command of his God and invited these foreign women into his inner circle. And they, over time, eroded his convictions. And that's what led to the fractured kingdom, by the way. So this is ultimately unfulfilling. Solomon, who had, who had a, a, a palace he, uh, Solomon had a gold-plated palace. Solomon had the best horses in the world. Solomon had the best of everything, the best food, the best employees, the best servants, the best of everything. Solomon had um, the most beautiful women in the world, and yet it was ultimately unfulfilling. This has been a popular thing theme among poets and artists and musicians. The Rolling Stones saying, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. <laughs> I can't get no. Can you hear this? Can you hear the melody in your mind? You too saying, I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you, but I still, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I can't leave out one of my favorite genres, country. Kenny Chesney has a song entitled Rich and Miserable. <laughs> and he says, we're too young until we're too old. We're all lost on the yellow brick road. We climb the ladder, but the ladder just grows. We're born, we work, we die. It's spiritual. Enough is never enough. American dream never wakes up. Too much is never too much. We won't be happy till we're rich and miserable. And what I think the book of Ecclesiastes and what the life of Solomon powerfully communicates to us today and really communicates to every generation is that life is ultimately meaningless apart from faith. That regardless of the good deeds that we do, like we're, we are not, we don't have any control. People that follow after us can destroy what we've built. People that come after us can squander in a matter of weeks what we accumulated over a lifetime. So there's this pointlessness to life apart from something transcendent, something that rises above the ebb and flow of everyday living. Either life is random and arbitrary, occurring without definite aim, reason, or pattern, or there is a higher power that is ultimately in control. Either we are cosmic accidents or we are created in the image of God. One of the things that 
Solomon teaches us is that we can find we can find serenity by embracing the reality that we are never in control. It's what he says in Ecclesiastes over and over again, right? Is we build our castles in the sand and just one wave washes it all away to embrace the reality of our lack of sovereignty and accept by faith that God is in control. Control is always a lie. Control is always an illusion. And so we try to, we try desperately to control our lives, right? So we, we have budgets in place and we dot every I and we cross every T and we have these plans that we put in place and they give us the illusion of control. We have restricted diets and we take our vitamins and yet life is unpredictable. And Solomon says there is a peace that can be found by embracing the reality of our lack of sovereignty. We are not sovereign over our kingdoms. We are not sovereign over our sandcastles. But what I want to conclude on tonight, because it can be depressing when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you know the rest of the story, you know, that Solomon started so well, that David, David is Solomon's father, and David is a role model to the older generations as he, as he set his son up to be successful. David put all the pieces in place for Solomon to be faithful, to be successful. And so Solomon started incredibly well. As a young king, uh, he asked God for the right thing. When God said, when, when God visited Solomon and God said, what do you want me to do for you? Solomon didn't say, make me awesome. That's what I would have said. That's what many of us would have said because it comes from our from our fallen human nature. I want to be the best king in the history of kings. He didn't say make me, he didn't say make me famous. He didn't say make me rich. I want to be the richest person. He said, I want wisdom so that your people could benefit from my wisdom. He had the right answer. God gave him a pop quiz and Solomon aced it. And God said, because you answered correctly, because you answered humbly, I'm going to also give you all the things you didn't ask for. I am going to make you famous. I am going to make you rich. I am going to make you successful. And so Solomon had all of these things and yet he ended up not finishing well. And we have this snapshot from this season of struggle in the life of King Solomon through the book of Ecclesiastes, where he is in the valley. He is depressed. He is in the grips of despair. He's surrounded by success. And yet Solomon is living proof that we can have, that we can be successful and miserable, that we can simultaneously be incredibly successful and amazingly miserable. And there's so many examples. There's so many examples. We see this all the time, right? On any given day, 
right? Just scroll through your social media feeds or just watch the news for 10 minutes and you'll see another example of this lesson from the life of King Solomon. We see, we see these elite athletes, right? Like Tiger Woods and others that they achieve their dreams, right? They make it to the top of the mountain and yet, and yet they're still not satisfied, we can't get satisfaction from the things of this world, and yet we try. We think that we're going to be the exception. We see this all the time with elite athletes. We see this all the time with movie stars, right? These are people that have private chefs. These are people that have multiple mansions. These are people that have the best vehicles that money can buy. These are people that have personal trainers. These these are people that wear the best clothes on the planet, and yet how many of them end up in rehab? It is possible to be beautiful and miserable, to be simultaneously incredibly successful and amazingly miserable. We see this all the time. Look at our politicians, the people that are from the people, by the people, for the people. And so we, we elect these people to positions of power, and yet this position the power that comes with it, it just exacerbates what's within all of us. The fallen human nature, right? So it magnifies, it magnifies their fallenness. How many politicians have fallen? How many preachers? And this clip hits very close to home for me. How many preachers that have achieved success in the eyes of the world and they started with nothing and they built this church with blood sweat and tears and yet they have a fall from grace we see this all the time but i don't want to i don't want to leave us in this pit of despair i don't want to leave us in this valley of depression because we have something solomon didn't have we have the ultimate game changer we have jesus in luke chapter 11 if you have your bibles turned there with me in luke chapter 11 beginning in verse 29 as the crowds increased jesus said this is a wicked generation it asks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of jonah for as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now, listen to this, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. This is shocking to the original audience. For Jesus to say something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus is the true and better prophet. And then he goes on to say something greater than Solomon was here. Solomon was the... Solomon was the golden age in the history of God's people. Solomon was this legendary, Solomon was this almost mythical figure in the, in the, in the lives and the history of God's people. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this of Jesus uh, saying these things. He says, our first thought is that no mere man would have said this concerning himself unless he had been altogether eaten up with vanity. For Solomon was among the Jews the very ideal of greatness and wisdom. It would be an instance of the utmost self-conceit if any mere man were to say of himself, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says this about himself. And so Solomon had the ultimate wisdom of mankind, of humanity. Solomon had uh, the, the extreme of everything that we think we need in order to be happy. And we believe the lie that we think we are going to be the exception to this rule. Well, it's going to be different for me when I win the lottery. It's going to be money is not going to affect me like it affects other people. Well, when I become successful, power isn't going to affect me like it affects everyone else. And we are deceived. We are deceived and we overestimate our strength. The Bible says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So Solomon had the ultimate wisdom when it comes to the, the human capacity for learning, the human capacity for experiencing pleasure. Solomon did it to the extreme. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want us to see that we have the ultimate game changer. We have what Solomon lacked when it comes to finding real significance and purpose and meaning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And he goes on to say that the wisdom that is found in Christ is ultimately what brings fulfillment. And so if you're on that road, that dead-end street, and you're trying to find satisfaction in your in your academics. Some, there's some students out there, your identity is directly connected to your academic performance. And so when you make a bad grade, it's not it's not just academic, it it affects your self-worth. And so if if you're trying to if you're trying to find meaning and purpose through academics, it's a dead-end road. 
If you're trying to find meaning and purpose through pleasure and you go from one relationship to the next and you think that next time it's going to be different, that the next time it's somehow going to, it's going to fill that hole in your heart. And it's a demoralizing cycle of heartache. And if you think that your career is going to be it and you're going to cl- you're going to climb the ladder, but the ladder always gets longer. And, and even if you do land that dream job in the corner office, you're going to sit there and you're you're going to wonder why does why didn't this bring peace? Let me conclude with a quote from Blaise Pascal. And he says this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which now of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace this is this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. You know, the the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of humanity. And it's a homing beacon that we might turn and find him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So cease your striving because success is not going to bring significance. You can believe the word of God. You can believe the testimony of Solomon. You can believe me and my own personal testimony. You can believe the the unspoken testimonies of millions of people that have been down that path. They've They've been down that same dead-end road. You can believe us and now turn now and find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. That, that abyss below the surface in your life is your soul aching for God. And the only thing that will soothe the ache in our soul, the only thing that will ultimately heal our broken hearts is God himself. And so would you pray with me? And let's turn to God together. Heavenly Father, we quiet our hearts and we calm our minds. And as best as we know how, God, we, we pull off of the inner state of life, Lord, where it's fast and it's furious and it's cutthroat and it's competitive and we have to keep up. And so the the lights on the dashboard have been flashing for quite some time, but we just don't have the time. We just don't have the time to find the rest area. And so I pray tonight that we will cease our striving. We will stop our striving, Lord. And we will disconnect our self-worth from all these external things and pursuits. We'll disconnect our self-worth. God, we're trying, we're, we're asking we're asking fallible, we're asking temporal things to fix something that is eternal. And only the eternal can meet that need in our soul. And that is you, God. And so, Lord, by grace, through faith in Jesus, we 
drop whatever it is that is in our hand that Lord, we're trying so hard to prove our worth to you and to everyone else, and we surrender. And in that surrender, may we find serenity and contentment. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.